So this is a really interesting one. This is where we have fashion, we have jewels, we have glamour, and we even have a little bit of politics. Well, <laughs> just some more Trump bullshit. So there's a little more trouble in Trump land, or there was anyway. One of his favorite jewelers, Jeffrey Rackover, sugar dad slash sugar daddy <laughs> had a little boy toy named James Rackover. Well, his real name wasn't James Rackover until Jeffrey Rackover adopted him. This one is quite a story of drugs, murder, stolen cars, burned bodies, and fake adoptions. Just another night at Melania Trump's jeweler's pad. It is really a crazy story, but I think one of the things that's really interesting besides all that scandalous stuff is a father's love. Our our victim here, Joey spent every Sunday with his dad. They'd watch football, they'd have family dinners. So when Joey didn't turn up, suddenly his father got turned on to what's going on. And he stepped in. He was actually, I think he used to be a policeman or he's a private detective. So he kind of stepped in and used his clout to get things moving. And I think you're really, really going to be interested in this story because it's got a lot, a lot of layers to it. And just when you think you've understood it all, it gets even more complicated. Check out this next episode of True Crimes and Fashion with my co-host Carol Alt and I. Let's go. Thank God for fashion. I think there's so much crime in fashion because people are drawn to fashion. I got into the business of fashion to tell stories. Flashes all around. Top model Gia got it all, all at once. At the end of the day, it's the comeuppance. The runway catway's mine. We have very eclectic personalities. I'm here with Philip Blosh. My fabulous co-host, Pat Cleveland. Biggest crime in fashion has been the death of Versace. Shortly before 9 a.m., fashion designer Gianni Versace was shot on the steps of his villa. And now I get to tell the stories of people I love in fashion. When people are caught and they have to pay for their crimes. Body found yesterday in the Seine River in Paris. How did she die? Katusha Neon. Sylvie Cachet was on top of the world. Her body found in an overflowing bathtub. You're listening to True Crime, Fashion and Passion with your host, Philip Locke. Hey, I'm Philip Locke, and we are here on True Crime, Fashion, and Passion. Today we have a really complicated story. I think the base of today's story is about a father's love, a father that just knew something wasn't right, a wild after party because we already know nothing good happens after 1 a.m., and here... To share this story with me is my co-host, Carol Alt. Hey, Philip. Yeah, this is a very complicated story. But I have to say that I kind of felt a lot for Joey because we had so much in common. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So let's start talking about well, you Joey share a father that you, you share a father that you don't share a father, but both of your <laughs> fathers were in... Yes, my father was in the military police and Joey's father was a policeman. He loved hockey. Hey, yeah. who's, a, who's a bigger puck bunny than me? You are the puck bunny. I own a team, for heaven's sakes. What team again? Uh, the Vegas Golden that's Knights. That's right. That's right. Yes. But he also attended Hofstra University. Absolutely. And that's again. my alma mater, that's more alma or less. Mater. And he was in he was in business law, in the in their law program as I was. So I started to see this kid from you know Long Island with a similar background to me. And I thought, how did he get wrapped up in all this? So that's a very exciting yeah, he was, story. He was, he was a, he was a very sad Well, he story. was actually from Connecticut. He was from Stamford, Connecticut, but, but I mean, he went he, to Hofstra. He, went to yeah, he was a Hofstra boy. Yeah. So, you know, we got Well, he that. lived in the tri-state area. Exactly. That's a, that's it. Well, Joseph Joey Comunale was born in Stamford, Connecticut on March 9th, 1990. He was young. He was beautiful. He was athletic. He was 
again, it's always the guys that everybody loves. You yes. know, that that the group leader, he was the leader. Always and the good die young. Didn't we talk about that too? So true. Yeah. His parents were Patsy was his father's name and Lisa Communale. His father, you know, had been a military policeman. He had an investigative um Kind Bent. Of, yep, mm-hmm. yep, exactly. Yep. And uh, Joey attended West Hill High School. He was a member of the state championship baseball team. He played hockey, hockey. <laughs> which was really his true passion, which was really his true I passion. I don't blame him. And besides, I think, partying and girls well, and his friends. <laughs> and that's where he got into trouble. Exactly. Joey attended Hofstra. He received a degree in legal studies and was a member of the hockey club. Joey was a member of the DSP fraternity at Hofstra. Were you a... Uh... No, no, no. My Army ROTC. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay. Ooh, that's we got to go more into that. <laughs> Carol, has, Carol's not a crime though; she's too good. That's that's the problem. Let's talk about the bad apple in the bunch. Yes, there is a bad apple in this barrel. I got to say, there's a few. There's I a few. I assume you're talking about Jimmy. Yes, Jimmy Bedwin, um, or Bed- Bedwan. Bedwan the second. Bedwan the second. Yes, um, he was born March 1991 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He was the eldest son of a single mother. I don't want, no, don't even say that yeah. because there are plenty of single mothers who bring up it's so great sad, kids. Though. It's just You just so never know sad. where somebody goes awry. You just don't know where that happens. I think not having the, the parental, the father influence is really a big thing for these guys. And, and I Well, think he it, started burglary. I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. he started robbing people and he went to prison for that. He has, a, he had a rap sheet as long as my arm before he even got to New York. And that's the interesting story. In 2007, he was arrested for burglary. In 2009, he met a woman, Samantha Grimm. She was a waitress in Florida. He was released from prison for burglary. You know, the girls love a bad boy. Yeah, they do. But she said he didn't have much of an education. Well, yeah, so, because he was too busy, too like, busy getting yeah, in trouble. Getting into trouble. I mean, and as I went through the case... You know, you read all these different articles and you do a lot of different research. And it was like, I couldn't even keep track of all the cases he had, actually. He was arrested for driving without a license. He was just arrested so many times. He was arrested in 2010. He just didn't like rules. (laughs) He was a rule breaker. Guy after my own heart. Jimmy was a simple guy, though, as they say. (laughs) Right. He worked at a boatyard. He liked to skateboard. He wore shorts. And he kind of was like a... Hang out, hang out kind of guy. Let's, chill let's, kind yeah, of guy. Chill and let's go hang out. But, but every still time you hang out, deep. right? Well, yeah. But when you hang out and you got nothing to do, it's that, that what do they say? You get yeah. into trouble, right? Well, and still waters run deep. He seemed really simple on the surface, but right. there was something driving him underneath. And that's, that's kind of where things go wrong. In 2011, he was arrested, according to Broward County Records, or uh, driving without a license. Samantha I mean, paid his bond. I know, it's just simple little things, but there were so many of there them that so racked many. up. But he was getting arrested and arrested, arrested and arrested. And, arrested, and right. there's mugshot after mugshot after mugshot. Like his modeling was more about his mugshots than magazine covers. That's for sure. Wow. And then he goes to New York. He, he gets to New York. Um, he start, Well, you know, here's the and funny thing. And he comes thing. back and forth between New York and Florida <laughs> with wads of money. And, and his girlfriend is saying, like, where are you getting this money from? But I think the interesting thing is the girlfriend's not really questioning it. She's just like living it because that's the thing. She's like, oh, I don't really know where he got his money from. (laughs) But she did say he was becoming obsessed over money. Exactly, which is very interesting. And then when she was later questioned after all this happened, when she was questioned in an article that I'm sure she got paid to do, she, she talked about how, well, I don't think he was gay. Oh, but yeah, he probably would sleep with rich gay guys to make money, but he wasn't gay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what is that? 
Well, maybe he was bisexual and not, you know, because, I mean, he was with her and he going was cash sexual. <laughs> you said something before that was even funnier. Well, every 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 straight guy is two six packs away from being gay. But in this case, the cash, it was it, it was, was about the money, about the cash. It was about the money. And he wanted, you know, he wanted a better life. And some people just don't understand that it actually comes from hard work. It comes from having a focus and. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. I think that's what everybody thinks, that all of this money comes flowing in overnight. And as you can tell, because you're doing your podcast now, right? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. It's a oh lot of work God. to do anything. And people only hear about when the money comes flowing in. And I think that that sets a lot of people up for a failure because they think Absolutely. that they're going to just start out the gate making money. And they think they're going to be discovered. Everyone thinks they're going to be a star overnight. Everybody right? doesn't realize how fabulous I am. <laughs> I'm how many years, we're how many decades into this career and nobody Honey, realizes how fabulous we are. talk about the blisters <laughs> from the go-sees walking around the city and, and having to go on, on what they called go-sees. Oh, I yeah. Mean, the that, rejection is, and there's the rejection and the the, the some girls it's struggle. years you know the struggle some girls that have do this for years before they hit and some girls do it for years and never hit that's the thing you just never know you got to put in the hard work and pray that it becomes a perfect storm in a good way for you that you become famous well and I think the other thing is people think Make once money. I become rich and famous my problems are going to go away yeah. And what do we know? It, more money, more problems. More money's more problems. More responsibilities. The more success you have, the more fame you have, the more people you have riding with you, and you can't trust everybody that's riding with you. Well, and I think you. James was like that because I think what happened to him is he got a taste of money and the good life and New York, and the next thing you know, he leaves and goes to New York. Well, here's this guy who has definite emotional issues because he's getting arrested all the, all time. the time. He doesn't have a father figure. He's brought up by a single mother. He seems really simple, but there's this drive. There's this, uh, suddenly he has this taste. taste. He's, his appetite gets wet yes. and God knows what else got wet. And he he decides, okay, I need money. So in, in September of 2013, he meets Jeffrey Rackover. So how did he meet Jeffrey Rackover? At a gym. At a gym. And so the 50-something-year-old single single man with no kids meets this hot young guy with a – you know, he did have – he had like Leonardo DiCaprio looks in the sense that like he had a baby face. But right. he was definitely like movie star looking. He was beautiful. He had a beautiful body. You know, he had that jaw and he just – he had a great look. And actually, he probably could have worked as a model had he put in the work to be a model. Right, right, right. And, um, you know, it was always his desire more than his actual his actual job. Now, Jeffrey Rackover is interesting because he is the, the jeweler, jeweler to, to the, the stars. stars. <laughs> Didn't we all know Jeffrey Rackover? <laughs> With my quote fingers, like yes. J-Lo. I think he did J-Lo and Oprah. Donald Trump and, and Oprah. Oprah. Well, here's the funny story. It all comes back to Trump. Whenever it's a bad story, it comes back to oh, Trump. Oh, stop. <laughs> 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 so Donald got Melania's engagement ring from Jeffrey Rackover at, at a, a discount. discount. <laughs> you got to love it. And he probably didn't pay the rest of it either. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, you know, Jeffrey wanted Jeffrey wanted to be that that guy. He loved his fame. I think he, he liked his to society. be around the stars for sure. Absolutely. He liked the society. The excitement that, of it. And exactly. I think people in New York love that Hollywood culture. They, and there's also perks. You know, if you're if you're 
one of these people that help the stars, if you're a stylist, right, Philip, or if you're, if you're a jeweler, <laughs> or if you're a makeup artist, or a hairdresser, or even a model, that wealthy people like to hang around that glitterati. Absolutely. They, they, they like that. And, you know, it becomes a different life than just being in a studio and working all the time. Absolutely. And they live vicariously through the celebrity. That's why there's all the hangers on. Well, it didn't take Jimmy very long to move in with Jeffrey. He just the... showed up his door one day. Like, how does that happen? Well, I'm sure Jeffrey <laughs> said, come on over. Come on I mean, over. I'm sure he had he was over there quite a bit going back and forth from Florida. And then I think he basically ended up moving in pretty quickly. Right. And apparently, again... Not gay, but they were living together. Well, he called himself his son. Well, this is the, this is the creepy part of the story. Like Jeffrey Rackover, girl, who you fooling? Like he tells this story that the story is that wasn't true that Je- that he just showed up at his door. That's the story Jeffrey Ma- Rackover made up to tell his friends that suddenly this guy just showed up at my door and he's actually my, my son. son. <laughs> and but the funny thing is nobody was believing it. The the funny thing is like. That's the whole DL thing. People are telling this lie and people are like, mm, huh. you're 52 years old. You're not married. And this guy moved in with you. Yeah. And this, so and this the cover story is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and the neighbors all talked about not believing it. I don't think anybody believed that story. And, Except and, Jeffrey. <laughs> and Jeffrey believed his own lie. And right. you know what? Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody no, yeah, cares. The funny thing is when you tell the lie, that's when people talk. Yeah. If you just said, hey, this is this guy. I think he's hot. I think he's got a bad kid, but I can help him. People would be like, oh, wow. And nobody in New York cares if you're gay or not. I mean, I'm not sure why he thought he had to hide it. Especially like Oprah don't care. J-Lo sure don't care. Her whole glam squad's gay. You know, listen, I started with J-Lo at the beginning. Everyone, you know, she's got a lot of gays around her. The gays make the world sparkle. They do. I have all my friends are gay. This is is an industry of creative, beautiful souls. I mean, it's just an amazing place to be. And all my friends are gay. So it's... I'm not making the connection yeah. why he he thought he had to have a cover story. But anyway, okay. <laughs> well, so. it's sad. He really, he actually really tried to help him and he, he got did. him a he job. Got him, he, he got him an apartment. He, well, he gave him an apartment down on the fourth floor. On the floor. fourth floor, yes. <laughs> the penthouse, penthouse. On, the the penthouse, penthouse on, on the fourth floor. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very prestigious. But, you know, listen, apparently Jimmy was bringing chicks up to Jeffrey's apartment and banging them because there was, there was a camera that apparently caught some of that, which was Unadmissible in court, um, but but he was definitely using both apartments. We'll just say, and um, <laughs> I'll tell you more about that as we get into the crime. Actually, because there's very something very interesting that happens there. I think it was interesting. He got him a job at a Wilson Towers Insurance Company. Um, he changed his name. So this is the crazy. He changed thing. his name and changed his freaking life. His whole life was changed by this man. And he started getting Savile Row suits. He was flying out to LA to get him shirts custom made. I mean, like, imagine. So you now you're not just getting a taste. You, you are, are in it deep. You are deep in the buffet of the glamorous life. You are digging in. You are chowing down. You have Savile Row suits. You got money. You got this Sutton Place apartment, which. Sutton Place is a very chic, very chic, quiet, just chic. It's a lot of money there. It's it's a very old elegant, money. old money, old, old money. money area of the city. It, 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 you know, by the way, Jeffrey was paying for his four thousand dollar a month apartment. The apartment that he got him was four thousand dollars a month, which actually is not a lot of money on Sutton Place. It must have been a small little place. No, I would think a four thousand would be about you know a thousand square feet. 
What do you think? Yeah, yeah with a back that. a back apartment, but in Sutton Place nowadays. Uh, this wasn't that long ago. No, this I mean, was well, he got him that apartment back in 2016. 2016. Yeah, yeah. He probably got a deal somehow. He'd been in the building a long time. Because really, when you think about it, like, listen, the place I'm staying is five thousand bucks, and it's like a one bedroom in in the village. You know, I mean, it's it's apartment rents in New York are, are very, crazy. Very well, so let's go so back let's go to back. our guy Joey Caminale. The, the sad part of our story. So he had a girlfriend, uh, Alyssa Libretto. They had been together five years. And as as often in relationships nowadays, it was on again, off, off again. again. Sometimes there was a break. Like, I'm sick of your shit. I'm going out to get late tonight. We're on a break. <laughs> <laughs> you were with some other girl. I was on a break. We were on a break. That doesn't count. Is that like the celebrity crush? <laughs> Is that like when you, you get to sleep with your celebrity crush, except it's not a celebrity? I don't know. I, I think back in the day, you were either, either in it or you were out of it. I think it's changed a bit now. and People take breaks. Yeah, I, I wish maybe our relationship might have lasted if we got if to take a break. break. I, I just don't think so. Personally, I'm a big believer in energy. And I think once you start sleeping, I'm very monogamous when I'm in a relationship. And once you start sleeping with somebody, there's an energy, there's a connection. Yes. And and once there's you start- There's a trust. Like, why do you want to break that? Exactly. And this energy that, that you know, like- Passes back and exactly. forth. Exactly. It all goes bad on November 12th, not 2016. So Alyssa and 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 Joey are ha- having a fight and they go on a break. She just needed some time away from him that day. And he wasn't feeling good. So he took a nap. He t- ends up taking a really long nap because he wanted to go out with his boys. And we know that a lot of times guys will pick a fight with the girlfriend so that they can go out with their they can friends. They night out with the guys. Yeah. It's like, it's like. Not mm. feel guilty. It's, it's so weird, like human nature, how people literally do that. But how you can see it from the outside, you can't see it when you're in it. When, well, yeah, you know, exactly. That's the thing. If, do you think Joey, for one instance, would have wanted to go out with the boys if he would have known he was going to end up like this? Well, and this is where we that's get to the, what, the perfect storm. The yes, perfect storm. The Imagine perfect if storm. Alyssa said, I'm not having it. You're spending the night with me tonight. We're going to fix this fight. Yeah. We're not going to take a break. And, you know. Alyssa thought they were going to get married. She thought this was the guy she was going to be with the rest of his life. You know, I think she was kind of cool in that sense that, like, she knew this was her man. She knew he was a good guy. And I think she understood, like, yeah. guys got to sow their gotta, wild got, They got to have a break every now and then. And, yeah. and But, you know, it, it all would have been different. So he ended up taking a three-hour nap that day. Oh, don't you love a, a three-hour nap you in the I cold? You know, I can't nap. Really, I'm I not a napper. I wake up from either, a nap but... and I don't feel good. Like I got to go straight through. Well, I like my disco nap. I like, especially you know, the disco nap. But again, like a three-hour one, then you're kind of like waking up all groggy. Listen, and I then... spent my life with hockey players. They all <laughs> took naps in the afternoon. I'm like, you nap. I'm gonna go do some stuff. Uh, exactly, and then you're like conking out early, <laughs> <laughs> and they're you're... ready to go till three in the morning. Exactly, and I'm like ready to go rage all night after parties. Yes, I love a disco nap. Um, well then, so they, they end up taking a nap. His best friend, Stephen Nassa, one of his best friends is like, let's go. We're heading down to New York. They get in the car. They come down the Merritt. Exactly. Course, down the Merritt. Yeah. And they end up where? In the meatpacking district, which I'm starting to think not a lot of good things happen. It's a very common place for bad shit to happen. I know, but it's such a great place. There's so oh many great restaurants there, great clubs. It's really regentrified. We have been to so many parties there. I've, I've We've been to parties there. Oh, and Fashion Week stuff. Absolutely, I mean, I mean absolutely. It, It's a real hopping place. So it's kind of weird that this happened well, there, that all this connection happened. And there's there's been another there's been other crimes that we will talk about that, that happened, happened there. in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they ended up at the Gilded Lily. I don't know the Gilded Lily. I don't know the Gilded Lily either. Hmm. But that's where they ended up. Hmm. We don't know it. Hmm. I know. Huh. I, have to, I have to do my research there. Maybe it's Bridge and Tunnel. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't going to say that, Carol. <laughs> well, heck, there was a moment there I was bridging tunnel. <laughs> what, was, you, what do you mean? I'm not bridging tunnel. I was from Long I'm, Island. I'm Long Island Railroad. I'm not bridging tunnel. We I didn't take a bridge. I got on the train. <laughs> Still bridging tunnel. I was commuting bridging tunnel. Like literally, I go. Me too. In my I started my career bridging tunnel. There's nothing like going to Studio 54 from Penn Station. <laughs> I know, and then having to get on a train to go back home. Oh my! Talk about a walk of shame. Oh my <laughs> God, that is really brutal. I came home one night. My mother was waiting in the driveway for me. Mmm, brutal. Brutal. You know what? No, she loved me. You know, <laughs> yeah, and she, she was she worried. Cared. And it was a day before you know cell phones. So it wasn't like she could call me. She was worried. Absolutely, and and we're gonna see how a parent's love really changes the situation. Exactly. So about three thirty a.m., the club is emptying out, and apparently there's some kind of a fight in the doorway. And so uh, Joey and his friend go across the street. Now his friend Stephen's girlfriend is there. Joey's girlfriend's not, not there. there. This is a very interesting part. So it's so like a third wheel kind of thing. Yeah, and his girlfriend's not there. There's no adult supervision. Right. <laughs> Let's yeah. be clear here. <laughs> there's no adult supervision. And there's three kind of pretty girls that look like Joey's type standing across the street. They go over. They start talking to them. And in like in other cases, suddenly... These other two strangers sort of appear in your group. Gravitate. Gravitate to your group of good energy and sexiness. And they're like, hey, we're having an after party. And what do we know? Nothing good happens after, after 1 a.m. And they're like, hey, let's go. Let's come. So Stephen Nasso's girlfriend had clearly had enough. She went to get the car. You got to love a girlfriend that goes to get the car. She's like, and, and we're, we're going, going home. home. <laughs> exactly. There will be no after party. And Stephen, like an Maybe obedient Maybe sometimes you have to listen to your gut. When listen you feel gut, that somebody comes up and they're creepy, you just got to go. Well, so apparently, I don't know, Stephen's girlfriend took his phone. <laughs> she was really not letting him go anywhere. And then he was trying to call her. So he took Joey's phone and he had Joey's phone in his hand. And at that point, Joey just sort of leaves, which... This is That is important. so weird. Who ever leaves without their phone? Well, because he knew. Well, that's the weird thing. Who leaves without their phone nowadays? I don't go to the bathroom without my phone. Me either. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's always within a few inches of my hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's and we're not even the phone generation. Yeah, exactly. Well, now we are. We're just attached to it. That's I do everything on my phone. I mean, I literally do half my research on the phone. And I'll go to the bathroom and start looking up a story and it look for You know what details. I can't stand is when you call a business and they say, well, you can't download that on your phone. You have to go to a computer. I'm like, I don't even have a computer. <laughs> I have a phone. I do everything on my phone. Me too. I don't know how to use a computer, You know, these honestly. apps need to be always useful on a phone. I know. And well, actually, Samsung has this new phone that opens up, and it's like a computer, but it's a phone. I'm, I'm, I want to get one of those. Anyway. Anyway. We, we, we digress. digress. Exactly, as we often do here. But so, so Stephen's girlfriend has the car. Stephen has Joey's phone. phone. Mm-hmm. She's pulling up, and she's like, let's go. We're going, and bring him with you, and... Stephen turns around and Joey's already getting in a cab with these girls. So besides not bringing your phone, you're kind of leaving your road dogs that you came with. Yeah. And that is where the trouble We always say that's begin. a no-no. You never leave the group you came with. Even in some of the other stories, the one girl leaves and two girls are left. Yeah. And, she know, lived. And the and girl she, that yeah, left lived. Right. But you never you never leave anybody behind. Uh, yeah, exactly. It no. always seems to end up in trouble. It's like in the military. 
Yep. No soldier left behind no, you. No you, soldier left you, behind. You, you, you take your, your guys with you. and, and That's there's... why there's the buddy system. You stay together. Absolutely. And, and Joey broke the rule. He didn't stick with the buddy system. The he went with numbers. He went with the chicks were. And, you know, there has to be – that has to be deep for Alyssa. That has to really kind of – that has to be sad for her. Like, like that's where this went wrong. This, that's where this yeah, story really went moment. wrong. Yeah. That moment where – Oh, do I go with my buddies who I came with? Or are these three beautiful girls to an after party at a fourth floor penthouse? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so they're all in the cabs. They're headed uptown. They get there. You know, suddenly there's a lot of weird stuff apparently going on in the apartment, which which I heard from the girls. Yeah, uh, You know, there was... Basically, these guys were very... They're gay baiting and they're, they're taking off their shirts and they're like... Just doing all but kinds Joey's of... But Joey's straight. He's got a girlfriend at yeah, home. Yeah, and he's and, like... And he, he followed three girls to this apartment. Yeah. He didn't follow the guys. So. Yeah, no, he he definitely did not follow the guys. Let's talk about these two guys. So we have Max Branchinelli and, and Larry, Larry. DeLeon. They both come from New Jersey. Very well-off families. Wealthy families. One of them, the father's a horse breeder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was uh, I forget whose father was the horse breeder, but yes. Max's, right? Max's. So Max's father was the mayor of Oceanport then? Yeah, Max's okay. father was the mayor of Oceanport. So, and actually, he had done business with Jared Kushner. Let's go backwards a second. So Larry's father was a horse breeder. Exactly. And, and Max's father? Was the mayor of Oceanport, which is... Where the body was left, funny enough, it all comes full circle. So they knew this territory. Exactly. They knew what was going on. And interestingly enough, again, how it goes back to Donald Trump, Max's father was the mayor of Oceanport, and he had done business with Jared Kushner. He was computers, right? Yep, yep. He was a computer software yes. salesman. Well, Max was a computer software salesman, but his father was the mayor, and he had all kinds of business dealings and was involved with Jared Kushner. So it's funny how the Trump the Trump connection, when you're a New Yorker Weaves at all. through this whole story. Last New Yorkers, we've known Donald Trump for years. Yes, uh, but it's such, you know, when you get to a certain level in New York, it's it's a very, very small community. Everybody knows it's one degree of separation. Well, you know, I work for Donald. I worked as I was the creative style director for the pageants for Miss Universe, Miss Teen USA. But you know, I, I, I hosted, Miss, well, not hosted, I was one of the judges on Miss Universe. Exactly. And I did Celebrity Apprentice the first year. Exactly. So, so it all comes back it, to the it Donald. It all comes back, you know, to a small community where everybody knows everybody and everybody tries to help each other out. Exactly. Well, so they're so, at this party gay baiting each other and there's, you know, drugs going on and, and partying. But the, the girls kind of say, this is not for this us. This is not for me. Yeah. Like, okay. Mm, they don't need us here. And so this is where it gets a little weird and gets very, this is where it really goes bad. So the girls leave. Um, I guess Max is passed out by this point. Apparently it sounds like Max is kind of passed out sleeping. We don't know exactly where he falls asleep, but that's how the story goes. Larry and Larry DeLeon and, and, and Joey, Joey being a gentleman, they walk the girls down to a cab. They put him in a cab or an Uber or they put him and in a there car. There you go. He could have gotten in a cab and left. Too. Again, there were the so many opportunities over. where he needed to say, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. The party's over. You... Right. The girls left. Like, what is there left? What's that Kenny Kenny Rogers, Kenny Loggins song? You got to know when, when to fold, fold up. You got, I That plays in my head. And when I hear that song, whether it's three in the morning, five, six, that's you what I say. Know Time to go. And I go. The minute I hear that song in my head, that is my thing. And I go. If I hear, if I think that to myself, that's when I leave. I've learned that. <laughs> learned that. Um, so they they walk back into the building, Larry. And this is where it gets weird because later on, Larry says, oh, no, 
uh, uh, Joey went to get cigarettes then. And this was very interesting because Patsy, Patsy, Joey's father, Communale, says, Joey, Joey doesn't has, smoke. Joey has never bought a pack never of cigarettes. Never bought a pack of cigarettes. He smokes. He'll smoke occasionally, but all his friends know he has never bought a c- pack of yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, but when people smoke like that, they bum cigarettes. And that's me. That's I'm that, me. I'm that. <laughs> exactly. Or it was me before We're, I went raw. <laughs> I, I'm a party smoker. Like if everybody's partying and everybody's smoke smoking, I'm going to smoke. Yeah, and that too. And that too. <laughs> Back in the day. Not yeah, anymore. Not, not, thank not goodness, so much but, anymore. Yeah. But, it, but it's a great tool for an actor. It, so they go back up to the party, and apparently this is when that whole thing kind of starts where supposedly – so there's there's two versions. There's rumor that Larry and, and Jimmy sort of made a pass at Joey Communale. We don't know this for a fact, but that is kind of the rumor, and it seems that Larry sort of made the pass at Joey, and – Jimmy's obviously gay for pay and two six packs away <laughs> from from making a gay pass, but Joey probably didn't have enough money for Jimmy. But whatever whatever happened, there's this weird but relationship Joey was between straight. you guys. And yeah, Joey's not having Joey's just there at a party and you know, he's on that bender. Like they're partying, they're doing coke, and and he's he's on Maybe that. He didn't realize. That, I mean, obviously, he didn't realize the danger he was in. I mean, clearly, clearly, clearly. So apparently, he says, uh, "You know, what do you bring into the table?" So then, the other side of the story is that it was over drugs and this this kind of who brought what, and so which again, I've seen that many times. That argument erupt. Well, you didn't bring anything, and it's always the person who didn't bring anything that wants more coke and wants more liquor, or you know, there's always one of those in the crowd that didn't bring anything, but they're like, "Well, what do you mean? There's no more liquor." <laughs> we'll go buy some. Did you? I didn't see you come in with a bottle. So the argument ensues, and that's when supposedly Larry. Well, that's when, as as according to the court, as it happened, Larry lunges at at Joey and starts beating him up, beating the shit out of him, like pounding him. So in this moment, this is about where Max wakes up. So Larry's pounding on on Joey, and and Max wakes up and. Larry apparently says to Max, get out of here, leave. And Max leaves. So that's that's a little weird, too. I'm, I find that sketchy. So Max is suddenly leaving his homeboys and just getting out of there when the fight ensues. I know, ensues. but if something like that happened and you were there, I would leave in an instant. I would go downstairs and call the police. But wouldn't you brag, drag your friend out? Uh, uh, this is like my ride-or-die guy that I've been friends since since kids, and Larry's like getting in a fight. I'm like, come on, Larry, let's go. Let's go. I'm not going to just pick up and but leave in one second. Larry was the one who was instigating a fight. But that's when you Maybe get your friend out. Maybe he knew what out. his friend was like. But that's when you get your friend out of there. Yeah. If you're a good friend, you take you're your right. friend. And you don't just get up and out of there in one second. I don't no, you believe. you got to pick your stuff up and get I, yourself together. And you were fast, fast, passed out. You're fast asleep. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine this situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you really sit and think about that situation, because we've all been in something similar, the timeline doesn't really make sense. So apparently Max goes and in that moment, Jimmy pulls a knife out of somewhere. Apparently they were using it for coke and and the knife was around and it was being passed around and used for for coke, which I, I thought was really interesting. Apparently Larry, and this came up in testimony, Larry was wielding the knife. So as the trial goes on, Jimmy tries to blame everything on Larry, but apparently no one's having that story. Absolutely no one's having that story. So the girls, though, testified. One of the girls testified that Larry had the knife and Larry was wielding this knife around in the party when when they're gay baiting and doing all the lap dances without their shirts on. And they're like doing lap dances for the girls, but kind of looking at the boys. So, you know, weird. So this argument is just Max leaves. Larry is just pummeling 
Joey at this point, and by this point, Jimmy has jumped on him, and Max leaves. Like it just doesn't make sense. I have a question for you. At what point? I don't remember us talking about were Larry and Max gay. I don't know. That's that's the thing. There definitely seems to be a gay current running through this story. I know, but it never. Nowhere did I ever read that they were gay. No, but I did find lots of research that that was part of the argument that was part of there was a lot of there was a lot of rumor that it it broke out over them making gay advances there is clearly some um underlying gay current here there is some some clear sexual frustration here because the girls leave and then you've got these three testosterone sexy guys with drugs like staying there that it's just a little bizarre it's- i know but joey's definitely straight and nobody knows if max and larry i mean Obviously, their families know, but it, it doesn't seem that they're gay. Like, it no, just makes it doesn't no seem sense. that like, there this are. It just does not make any but sense. But this is, I think this is very DL, and I think everybody's living these, has these weird undercurrents that they're not admitting. This is this is true DL going on here, and, and that whole, and again, Jimmy swears he's not gay. Left, right, front, and center. He swears, he swears he's got nothing to do with being gay. And I'm just going to tell you. Jeffrey Rackover is not paying your $4,000 a month rent when you are, and getting you a job and flying you here and doing this and that if you ain't fucking him. And and that's just that's just the bottom line. But we speculate. So I speculate, but in my case, <laughs> you know, nobody flies for free. You know, it's just not the case. Even when you work for the airline, you still got to pay. <laughs> All right, so something so, happened. So so whether it was the drugs or whether it was sexual advances, This fight ensues. Max leaves at some point in this fight. Whether he saw Jimmy stabbing him, there's rumor that he saw him stab him in the neck, but there is no stabbing of the neck. There are actually uh, 15 15 stab wounds in in Like, I want to know how they even knew that after what they did to this poor boy. Well, there were nine on on the left side, I believe it is, and six on on the the right. right. Yeah. I mean, which is interesting, just the hearts on the left. And this boy was apparently just fighting for his he life was the still whole time. Alive when they were stabbing him. Well, they the dragged him into the bathtub by this After point. After choking him and, and slicing him. Beating him. him. And, and so then they drag him into the, the bathtub. Uh, and there's the willies. It's, it's so brutal and, so, and so demonic. This is literally demonic. And it's I can you imagine it's going it's going on next door to people that are sleeping in their apartments I and mean, it's just like it's it's yeah. right in the in the middle of I wonder again life. how does Max leave I, I I just don't get how Max leaves and doesn't say anything to anybody well that's why Max got charged for and he went down also he didn't get as bad a sentence but Max no, goes down also got- yeah. For hiding evidence and yeah, yeah. et cetera. But so this sort of gets but, really so bad ahead. at this I'm point. I'm sorry to just interrupt all the time. Go ahead. But no, it's it's just, it's so demonic. It's so callous. It's just hard to fathom. It's it's a story like this is just hard to fathom. What, what horror, what hell lives inside you? What self-hatred lives inside of someone that they have so little respect and so, so little compassion for life, someone else's life. And this moment changes everybody's life. Everybody's life changes from here on out. What, what moves me about these cases is from the moment that these things go into play. That choice is made. Those choices are made and we get to that choice. And the minute that knife comes out, the minute you start beating someone or start stabbing someone forever, Ever. it's 
Everybody's life has changed. And how do you do that and not think your life is not going to change, that this is going to make your life somehow better? <laughs> I, that's that's always you, – you always say I'm a true crime aficionado because I, I always watch a screw – for me, it's the comeuppance of the person at the end always getting caught. That's yeah. That's why I – Live through, you have to believe in the end that good is going to triumph. And, and that's what I always think of when I'm watching this is how does that person not think in this day and age with CCTV, with social media, with everybody with phones, this guy, these guys were driving down the FDR yeah, and they're taking cameras. pictures of the license plate. How do you think you're going to get away with there's Anything. pictures of the boys coming into the city. There's pictures of them going down the afternoon. So, so, so let's get to that. But so, it's so like it, you have to wonder what they're thinking. Oh, it gets worse. And then it gets worse. And, and and you just have to think, like, how much hatred do you have inside of you? And that is what people talk about, the heat of the moment. And that's why it's so important to have patience, to be calm. To, count to, to 10. To have – count to 10. Take a breath, baby. Take a breath. Like, this is that – Total release of the floodgate of aggression that 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 Jimmy has clearly had inside him all his life. This is where all those arrests, this is all that that's leading to, and the self hatred he has because this guy's clearly been doing all kinds of shit for for years with with guys for money. There's there's so much hatred inside of him, and and again, maybe this does have something to do with his father not being in his life. You know, I mean, there's something very 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 interesting to that. So. Apparently, they start to cut his arm off. They, they he's in the tub, Ugh. and they've stabbed him fifteen times now, and he's bleeding. And by this point, he is actually dead. But apparently, so they he want was to fighting off him to get him out of there. Well, apparently, Joey lived through the whole attack, and yeah, he was fighting them off. Fighting them off, they could just tell by different scratches on his body that he was fighting the knife and lived through it. So by this point, they believe he's dead and they are trying to cut his his arm off with, with a bad knife, with a knife that isn't going to do that. When do you come back to your senses and say, what am I doing here? This gets worse. The cold callousness of this just gets worse. So they start to decide, oh, we've got to clean this mess up. By then, the reality sort of hits their form of reality. This just shows what an egomaniac he is. But there's got to be blood everywhere. There's got to be blood in the living room. Then they drag they the drag body the to the body. bathroom. So they start bleaching and cleaning. They wrap um they wrap jo Joey's body in a in a comforter. And then they stick it in a plastic bag. They and start they throw it out. The there's window. blood everywhere. By the way, there's blood all over everybody's clothes. Um, and this becomes a, a big thing. Joey was wearing a necklace that that his father had given him, and he'd always worn. They take they take Joey's clothes off him. So again, don't even go there. I know there's something weird going on here. There's there is too much sexual innuendo involved in this in this case. And where's Jeffrey during all this? Jeffrey's up on the thirty second floor. So they did this in the fourth floor Jimmy's apartment. Fourth Except floor. so there is video, and this didn't end up getting in the case. Apparently, sometime in here. So this is how Jimmy tried to turn the tables and blame it all on Larry. So Jimmy tries to say that he just helped Larry clean up, that apparently, and there is footage of him going up to the 32nd floor apartment. Now, Jeffrey, I believe, is asleep, but there's this video camera in Jeffrey's home, which apparently has been used for 
Well, he's got a lot of jewels there. He's got a lot of jewels there, and it's been used for um, sexual, sexual okay. photo, videoing, sexual encounters of of a third kind. We'll just say we're not going to get into that because it wasn't admissible, and there's just no point getting into that. But there was a lot of shit going on there. There was a lot of sex and drugs going on there. What Jeffrey's involved in, we don't know, and he was involved in the trial. Really, he never even went to the trial. But there is video of Jimmy leaving the apartment for about. Three or four minutes going up to the apartment, rummaging through Jeffrey's room with the lights off, but they can, I guess, see it through the camera, and then coming back down. So it is rumored that he went up there looking for more coke, which would lead us to believe that perhaps Jeffrey indulges. But that's that's the rumors, and that's part of the stories I've read. We don't know. Allegedly, he went up there looking for coke. Maybe he went up there looking for something else. Who knows? Might have gone up there to get the keys to the car. Who who knows? Change um, of clothes. That, I mean, anything. Mm, he could be anything. Yeah. I, I, um, he has his own clothes downstairs. I don't it's know It's kind of scary it, but... that somebody's in Jeffrey's bedroom rummaging around while he's sleeping. Yeah. That, you know, especially when you know they're murderers at this point. So then he comes down. So that was his defense was that that – Larry did this, and well, he I was just upstairs for the third. Yeah, but that okay. that again didn't get admissible for some reason, and and I'm not sure why, but nobody believed it, and it just nobody believed it. And they are cleaning everything up. They're bleaching. They're putting the clothes in bags. There's several ba- garbage bags full of trash. They take it out. They dump it in the chute, which this is really important. So they dump the evidence in a chute, which again, case after case. Take that evidence. Don't leave that evidence. And once that blood is everywhere, they're going to find it. Yeah. They're going to find it. There's, there's so much. Exactly. Luminal. There's There's a blue star. Blue star, I think, is also one of the, the processes they use. Once you're in this, like, it's fascinating that people think they're going to get away with it. There's all these video cameras. Everybody knows they, they left. They went there. There's video of them going in the house. There's just such a trail behind. I don't know why anybody commits a crime at this point. Again, it's heat of the moment. Nobody's thinking. But these two, these two guys... And I think this weighs heavy on a jury. I think the jury looks at things like this. They ordered food. They ordered food. After killing this guy, they ordered and food. And hamburger. Yeah. Yeah. They ordered hamburgers, I think, and fries. They sat down and ate. Eight. They sat down and ate after they killed somebody in the most vicious, horrible way and tried to dismember the body. Then, so after it gets dark and they've had their snack, they come up with this plan that Jimmy's going to go down and get the car. He's got a Mercedes. By the way, Jimmy doesn't have a driver's license. His driver's license has been taken away from him because he's got well, speeding tickets. Well, wasn't he arrested or... for driving without a license? Oh yeah, at but one this, point? well, that was back in Florida. He's got he's got new problems up in New York with with he had no license. Well, I mean, he has no com- he has no compunction about it. Yeah, exactly, and and he's got his Mercedes though, and he's driving anyway. So he pulls the car around to the back of the building, Larry throws the body down that's in this plastic bag wrapped in a comforter, throws it down, and it lands in this kind of wooded area, not like bushes body, and stuff. This is Joey. This is a dead body this of Joey. Joey. This is just the saddest, saddest, again, just total disrespect for life and just like the two stooges here. I mean, just just bad. So they, they throw the body. They throw the body down. Joey out the window. Then Larry comes downstairs. They put the body in the car. They drive down the highway. Where they're, by the way, photographing, photographing, photographing. They go through the Holland Tunnel, photographing, photographing, totally leaving a a trail of murder and mayhem behind them. They go all the way out to Oceanport. All the way out to Oceanport, New Jersey, where where Larry knows because he and Max grew up there. Right to the woods. They go behind a floral shop, a florist, and there's woods there. And they try to burn the body. Yeah. So then they dig a hole, 
throw the body in there, and then they try to burn it up. They pour gasoline on it. As if it's all going to go away. Absolutely. Like, oh, this is this is the delusion and the the egomania that lives inside Jimmy. You know, this is this is clearly Larry is just a dumb schmuck, I think. You know, I mean, the just he's he's definitely got his issues, but this is Jimmy driving this. And this well, this is what the what the, the jury felt that that it was Jimmy. And Larry was part of it, and he got his time also. But it's really Jimmy that's kind of the brains here and just driving all of this. And they dump him off, and they go back. And so, oh, and all the while, so then this is the the social media part of the story. So by this point, Joey has always spent Sunday with his dad. So his dad is starting to go like, where is my son? Where's Joey? And so... Uh, because Stephen has Stephen has Joey's phone. Patsy calls and says, "Hey, where's Joey?" Stephen goes over to Joey's apartment. Joey's not at his apartment now. This is all going on Sunday, sometime early afternoon, Sunday morning, and then he calls another friend, and then somebody else calls someone else, and then they start going on Facebook and they start looking at pictures from the night before. Like this is. So fascinating. I wish my friends were smart enough to do this. Breadcrumbs. Well, yeah, yeah. really. Uh, uh, cookies. <laughs> right? The internet trail of cookies. So they start going to look at pictures. And then one of the other friends sees a picture of the girl that was one of the three girls that went to the after party. And and he recognizes her there and then who she's with. And it all starts to come together because he likes, this is the kind of girl that Joey would like. This is his type. This is what he likes, dark hair, you know. Blah. It's so fascinating, again, how friendship and knowing knowing, people. knowing people's habits comes into play here and in social his media. father looking for his son. So they, by this point, heart. they are tracking down Larry. They're calling Larry's cell phone. They are Larry's cell phone gets given up by one of the girls who I guess one of the girls, when they got in the cab, they she sent her numbers. She exchanged numbers with them and sent it to somebody. She was smart. Again, she's like like some girls use pinging. We've talked in other cases. You know, she sent it to somebody and said, I'm in a cab with this person. I'm in a cab with this person, just so you know. Some I don't know who she sent it to, but so it all got tracked That's down. That's always a good thing, huh? Letting so people smart. know where you so are. Smart. Letting people know where you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she, um, so they track, they're calling and Larry says, oh no, we walked the girls down to the car and then Joey went to get cigarettes. That's when that whole story happens of that. No, Joey doesn't go buy cigarettes. The father knows something is wrong. So the father goes to the local police. Um, the local. Go to the building. They go the to the footage. building. Well, then he sends them into the city. They say, well, we can't do anything right now. But then the next day. Well, it happened fast enough that they were able to still have the garbage. Well, yeah. So apparently because this all happened on a Saturday night into a Sunday. So Sunday he goes to the police. They say, you got to give it 24 hours. He's probably just whatever. But Patsy knows there's something wrong. And all the friends by this point know there's something wrong. Something's not right. Joey's not calling anybody. He's not home. This just isn't like him. This is absolutely not what he does. So by 9 a.m. Monday morning, Patsy is at the police station. He is like, my boy is missing. He goes into New York. He is at the 17th Precinct. And he talks to Detective Yeoman Castro. And he tells him the story and he says, well, let's go check out the building. And this is where it pays to have a father in the business. Because if you and I had gone there, they would have been like, yeah, we'll go check it out. Don't worry about it. They'll show up. They actually took his father with him. They took his father in the car. They rolled over there and they start looking at surveillance and he's footage. he's like, don't throw out that garbage. Well, so they start looking at all this surveillance, uh, surveillance camera, which again, 
Who's letting the dad do that? It's it's just fascinating how the father's Thank connection. goodness they did because they saw the porter bringing out the garbage. That brings this whole case together. And well, and that's because the father knew how to talk to the police, and they they felt like he was part of the tribe, the blue yeah, shield. He was he was a, the long blue line. The long blue line, exactly. Oh, the Absolutely. thin blue line. The thin, thin blue, thin blue line. line. You know, he was part of that. They they and it's just so interesting when you see that happening because they clearly. So he's looking at and he sees the tape. And he sees them put the girls in the car and that they go back in the building. And right around that moment, they see the porter taking out the garbage. And they say, stop, stop, stop don't take out, out that. Yeah. And somewhere in that time, Jimmy walks into the building and sees the police there, sees them looking at footage. And he kind of, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said something like, you're not going to find what you're looking for. Or he says he has the balls. He has the fucking audacity to literally say, I would have been like, I would have snuck in that door. I would have packed my bags and I would have been headed for Mexico. Uh, yeah. Or somewhere, Brazil, you know, somewhere really far away where there's somewhere where there's no extradition, but no, not Jimmy. Jimmy goes in the apartment. So they, they just look around and the, and the, um, the doorman, I guess, identifies himself. That's, that's the guy that they were at the apartment. But, you know, we all think as as laymen, we think, oh, well, why didn't they just arrest him in that moment? Because you see that no, this is not any. You have to have a case. You got to have a case. So they let him in go. In fact, if they arrest him in the moment and they don't have their their clues and their Absolutely. information all together, they could lose him. It's it's so They'd frustrating. We've seen go. that in other cases. There's yeah. people that we know did this murder. It's evidence. obvious. But they've got to build the case. And that time has to pass it takes months to build this case so a lot of times murderers are murderers are walking around free to go free yeah. to go and, and until they can until they can get the case built which is absolutely crazy and, and it's very not that scary crazy because if you know you got to make sure you don't get an innocent person caught up in that too absolutely absolutely and i completely understand it but it just seems like wow and you know there's a lot more innocent people that get accused than than guilty people i'm sure you know so well, at this knows? point who they knows? start going through the garbage and Lo and behold, there's Jimmy's jeans covered in blood. They start finding his these, necklace, his necklace, his driver's license. Why did they take his clothes off him? Why did they take his clothes off? I mean, there was other, there was so much bloody evidence at this point in these bags. So it's kind of pretty quickly here that the police realize that these two guys have killed this poor kid. Yeah, uh, the, the the suspects are in place. Everybody knows who everybody is. They've they been identified the through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. And all the players have come forward. This is by Tuesday morning. This is already figured out. Larry is brought into the police station. They bring Larry in first, and, and they bring him in, and they start questioning him, and he sings like a canary, as they say. He just breaks down and tells all because they, they basically have him, and they're probably telling him, look, you know, we know you were there. We we know everything. We've seen the video. We've got the driver's license. But also, oh. once you start working with the police, it's, it becomes a lighter sentence, too. Absolutely. And there's handprints. Oh, there's geez. handprints. There's bloody handprints. So it's it's there. They've, they've basically got the case. And so Larry just starts to tell the whole story. And then the police go right to Oceanport. They know where to go. He just tells them where everything is. Two hours later... They show up at um, Pat Communale, Patsy Communale's door, and Patsy knows. The minute he sees the car, he just knows you it's know that, that father's instinct. That energy, yeah, you can feel it. It's so sad. I, I think case after case, it just everyone we know, when you when you lose someone like that, that connection, you just 
you feel that they're not coming back. You know they're not yeah. coming back, and although you hope against you know fate yeah. that it's all going to work out, but it just doesn't. It took three days, mm-hmm. and they found him. They found the murderers. They found the body. So then there's the sentencing. So there's the whole case is being built. So Lawrence Lawrence Dillion of 28th Avenue in Jersey City has been charged with second degree murder. Max Gemma was charged with helping in the cleanup of the murder. And is that obstruction? Yeah, I no, guess I obstruction. obstruction. There's, 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 there's like two minor charges. He didn't get such a... No, he got six months. Yeah, in the end. Yeah. You told the end. <laughs> we already... The end is really already the been come told. Up, it's the come up yeah, the is come what up, I live the just, for. Just yeah. desserts, right? The just desserts. So October 2018. The fascinating thing is it takes time. It took two years to get this to happen. Like two years to get this trial together. That's it's fascinating. But that's a trial date. I think yeah. that's a trial date. So Jimmy's obviously in jail, and it takes two years to get a court date. Yeah, and, and have and all build the pieces the case. come and build together. the case and yes. build the witnesses and kind of yeah. you, again, this is kind of what we're saying. How it really takes so long. It's only to prove painful this. that 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 period of time is only painful Brutal. if you're innocent. Brutal. Oh, it's it's brutal if you're innocent, and it's just brutal for the families because yeah, you're still I guess living you have in to it. Live it. You don't you're have your right. closure, and and you're constantly talking about it and bringing it up because it's it, there's well, no I closure. I think you talk about this for the rest of your life. Anyway. You do, but I think it doesn't after, go away. I think after the trial, it, it there's a period of grace, and 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 everyone really? can I... exhale. You can exhale. You know, there comes a point where you don't talk about it. The weight's lifted. And then, then, then it's I, a I part of your life. I don't think it ever leaves your your soul, but I think it leaves the co- the conversation. You have to realize as this is going on, the police are constantly calling you, the lawyers are calling you. They're building a case, and they need everybody involved. And and as a parent, or a husband, or a girlfriend, or as best friends, you want justice. As as you know, one of the cases I I have a friend that. 20 years he's wanted justice for a case. You know, I mean, he's wanted for 20 years, he's just wanted his father's story to be told. So, so there's something about the closure of the trial and talking yeah, about it till then. It's, it's, it's really never sad. closure for the people. No. I, mean, I think uh, the, I there are a lot of times I talk about closure. I lost somebody very close to me and there's never been closure. Even though I know what happened, there's just never been closure. It just always weighs on you and always breaks your heart. So, I mean, I, I think that that two-year two period is, yeah, you're right, hard on the family. But can you imagine being an innocent person in prison at that time? Well, these, these guys, guys were, were not, not innocent. Yeah. These guys were not innocent. And and in fact, here, funny you bring that up because Jimmy is so bold and disgusting and such an egomaniac. He's on the phone in jail, which is clearly I bugged. clearly taped. They tape all the... Calls from jail. I mean, yes. what are you thinking? What an ego maniac. It's just the ego. This is all the ego. And he's telling his friend, oh, I'm going to rock this case. I'm going to be out of here in no time. We'll be hitting the streets. And that was actually played in court. That had a big impact. Did it? Yeah, it actually mm-hmm. did because he is his... Just no his, remorse. No, no remorse. His lack of remorse. His lack and of a humanity. Lack of responsibility. Like having no feeling for that at all. Absolutely. And what you've done, it showed. And that was part of why they felt that it wasn't Lawrence de Leon that was behind it. It was all comes into that play. And so that that was kind of Jimmy's defense was that. But they brought two of the girls up. One of the girls was Jenna Satisi and Katie Conroy. And Katie talked about the knife and how Larry was wielding the knife. But that didn't end up being the evidence that they felt that I guess the story was that that light knife was around and then Jimmy grabbed it wherever it was left. 
when they were using it to snort cocaine, where it was left, and that's how he started stabbing a, a Joey, because it was left around. Rackover was quoted as saying that uh, Lawrence DeLeon got into a fight with Communelli. He knocked him unconscious. I slit his throat, and I stabbed him, and we wrapped up the body in a comforter and threw it out the window so the cameras wouldn't see. I mean... He's trying to blame it all on, you know, everybody else. And then he says he slit his throat, which wasn't really true. Very, very strange. The whole lying and the storytelling that went on. Um, I think it's really important to talk about one of the star witnesses. So apparently the day after, um, this must have been the Monday. And I'm thinking when Patsy Communale and the and the police officer are looking at the tape in the building and then they go and find the garbage from the porter taking it out and they stop the porter from taking it out Jimmy Rackover's coming home from the gym on the Monday cuz he's out, out working out you know he's eating he's working out he has no problems he also actually after the murder he ordered pancakes again after they came back from Jersey he ordered pancakes i mean this boy was eating he was not, he was not missing a meal in between killing, burning bodies, he was eating. And it's all on like Grubhub or whatever. The, you know, the receipts are there. It's so fascinating. So he goes to the gym the next day on the Monday. He's talking to this guy, Louis Ruggiero, who's one of his workout homeboy buddies. And he tells – so Louis says this in court. This is part of Louis's testimony that Rackover was quoted saying to him – that um, he got low, La Lawrence DeLeon got in a fight with Communale. He knocked him unconscious and I slit his throat and I stabbed him and wrapped the body up in a comforter and threw it out the window to the cameras. Now, Joey was never stabbed in the throat. So that was a little bit of contention. The lawyer said, but that's not true. He never did that. But but again, Jimmy could have embellished. He embellished. And, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm thinking he just, you know, he's embellishing. He's showing off. It's the yeah, man, I slit his throat like as if that was cooler than I stabbed him 15 times. <laughs> he probably didn't even know he stabbed him 15 times. It's, it's also delusional. <sighs> On November 2nd, after a two week trial in Manhattan Supreme Court, it took just under five hours for the jury with many tears in their eyes. It was this was really Listen, can I tell you, story. reading this, reading this, that you, when you wrote this and you gave it to me, and I was reading this story, I started, I, I mean, I started to cry. Yeah, I, I tear is, up in telling this. Oh, this you know, I guess because, you know, Joey was a Hofstra, you know, Hofstra alum, and I went to Hofstra, and, you know, I loved, so I'm, I'm reading about Joey, and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this could be... You, <laughs> me. it could be but, anybody, and 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 truthfully, in New York, there's so many stories like this because it, it could be any night out. Yeah, absolutely, anybody, anybody, any night any out. Any night out. James Rackover was convicted of second degree murder, hindering prosecution, and concealment of a human corpse. I mean, I guess they didn't even get into the burning, and I mean, like, I Mutilation. guess that's the hindering, and I, I mean, Mutilation. It feels like there's so many crimes here. I guess you just go with what. What you can. James Rent Rackover was sentenced to a minimum of 28 Eight and, and two-thirds, yeah, 28 and two-thirds years in prison with a maximum of life for the murder of Joey Communale. It's important to say that all of Joey Communale's family and friends showed up at the court. Jeffrey Rackover came to the sentencing period. He didn't come to anything else. He didn't come to the trial. He completely cut his ties with him. And lastly, Larry DeLeon was found guilty of Joey's murder. After he pleaded guilty to manslaughter, he was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Max Gamma pleaded guilty to hindering the prosecution and tampering with evidence for a sentence of six months in prison. He got a very, very 
small sentence. And apparently he was very cooperative and the police felt that he really didn't have anything to do with it. So I guess his getting out was was the best thing he could do. Jeffrey Rackover moved out of the Grand Sutton and cut ties with James Rackover. As a way of remembering Joey, some of the friends got tattoos with the number nine, which was Joey's number... um, when he played sports, while well, his friends yeah, got number nine tattoos. Heartbreaking. La Patsy Caminale filed a suit against their parents. I mean, pretty pretty interesting there. Tuesday, exactly two years after his son death, son's death, Patsy claims the parents were accomplices. I, I couldn't find that that was resolved yet, but basically he felt that the parents told the kids, like, you know, this is this is the whole thing. There's no morals anywhere here, and it, it's the parents. A lot of it has to do with the parents, like how they grew up. Like, hide it. Just hide it. Lie and hide it. Not like... You did it, face your consequences, and it's a tough decision for a parent to make. And and I think a lot of the story is interesting because a lot of it is about a parent's love and, and about love. and On both sides. On both sides. On both sides. Well, once again, we see that nothing good happens after 1 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning. I definitely have learned that lesson in my own life, and listening to these podcasts more and more, I realize, like, do not get in the car with strangers, don't go to somebody's home you don't know, and don't get in anybody's car or go to anybody's place after 1 o'clock in the morning. When you start saying to yourself at the end of the night, (laughs) what should I do? The answer is go home. This was a really, really interesting story. I I love how the friends all came together and they used the power of the internet and Facebook and you could you could just feel the energy of his friends just bonding and trying to find out what happened, you know, and 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 trying to find justice. And it took three days. It took three days once the father got on it and just made things happen. And how coincidence and fate and just all the weird moments of this come together. And it's one of the most interesting things I think about these murder cases is how someone's born in one place and someone else is born in another place. And how do you come together on this night in that moment to be killed or to kill someone? And then on top of it, this case has so many other people involved. It's the destinies of everybody involved and how their lives are forever changed. It's just so fascinating by one wrong decision, one wrong move. Joey and his girlfriend hadn't had an argument. Would he have gone out that night? If he went out that night and just went home in the car with everybody else, wouldn't everything have been different? Very, very, very strange. Well, I hope you enjoyed this and got to learn a little more about Joey and, as usual, Carol. (laughs) Carol saved the day and brought up a lot of great points that really, I think it's interesting that we have conversations about these, these murders and these stories because it really helps us all understand and look at other people's perspectives because we may think one thing, but when you see these cases, you realize there's so many other things going on. Well, tune in next week because we have a really, really interesting guest, our fashion designer, Naeem Khan. And Naeem is a friend of ours for many, many years, and he's had an extraordinary career. And it's interesting to hear where people get their beginning from, who gives them their start. And, you know, Naeem is of Indian descent and came from a royal family of fashion in India and worked with the emperor of fashion in in New York, Halston, and king of art, Andy Warhol. So tune in next week with my co-host, Pat Cleveland, the amazing (laughs) and uplifting Pat Cleveland, for our next episode of True Crime, Fashion and Passion. Next week's episode will be some fashion and some passion.